you can go ahead and turn in your Bible to Genesis 30. So as we've been coming through the book of Genesis together, we land today in Genesis chapter 30, verse 25 through 43. And my hope uh, for every Christian in the room, I want to encourage you and build you up from a passage of scripture that you may have never been encouraged from before. And if you're here today and you're lost and you don't know Christ, I want to call you to Christ from a passage of scripture that you may have never been called to Christ through before. In Genesis chapter 30, verse 25 through 43, let's pray and we'll begin to move in that direction. Please pray with me. God, we thank you again. Thank you again, Lord, for your word. Your word is precious to us. Living and powerful. A fire. A hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. These words that are breathed breathed out by you. So God, we submit ourselves to them this morning. And as your people, as your church, God, we come to your word already submitted. (laughs) Already laid low before you, Lord. You're our God. And whatever you say goes. We're devoted to you, Lord. We love you. Lord, give us a taste of something. A taste of something about you. And as we see who you are, God, I pray that you would give us hearts to worship, give us hearts to obey and be doers of your word and not hearers only. Lord, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want us to remember a few things before we read this passage. Let's remember a few things. So as we've been coming through the book of Genesis together, remember We're following this family, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob and on. We're following this family for a reason. And it's not because they are the epitome of holiness, as we've realized as we come through Genesis together. We're following this family because of a gracious promise that has been given to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and on into the nation of Israel. It's the reason that we follow this family. It's the reason we follow the nation that came from this family. is because of a gracious, gracious promise. It was given to Abraham in Genesis 12. It was given to Isaac in Genesis 26. And then to Jacob in Genesis 28. And as you know, this family multiplies and multiplies until they become, as we read in Exodus, the next book, they become a nation. And the promises are passed on to this nation, Israel. And this promise is the reason that we follow this family, the reason why the Holy Holy Spirit has given us uh, insight and a record of this family, this nation, is because of this promise. And so let's talk for just a minute about the content of that promise in Genesis 12 and Genesis 26 and Genesis 28 and on. Let's talk about the content of that promise. If I had to give it to you in the most basic way I know to say it, it would be this. That given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to the nation of Israel was a promise that through them is going to come a Messiah. That a Christ would come. That the head crusher of Satan, 
the blesser of all nations, the one that would be wounded for our transgressions is going to come through Abraham and Isaac and through Jacob. That's the most basic way I know how to mention this promise to you that's found in Genesis. Now, if I gave a little bit more detail, I would do it like this, the way that we've done it over and over again, is this promise contains a seed promise and a land promise. It was told to Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, Abraham, in your offspring, there's coming one that's going to be the blesser of all nations, the Christ, the Messiah. There's a seed promise given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's also a land promise that you see this land that I brought you to, Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, you see this land? I'm going to give it to you and your descendants. So there's a seed promise, and there's a land promise that we're following as we read the record of this, of this family. Now, does this seed promise and land promise, does it include material wealth? Just think about that for just a minute. Does the, do these promises include promises about material wealth? And I would say this, not directly, it's not the main point. The blessing to Abraham, the blessing on Isaac, and the blessing on Jacob is mainly about a Christ that would pour out spiritual blessings on the undeserving. But, but at the same time, it is implied in these promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that there would be material blessing. And here's the reason why. This family, this family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were to become a nation, a prosperous nation among all nations. That's what they were to become. And implied in that is that they were going to prosper. They were going to have prosperity or material wealth. Now, you see that connection. I'll just read a verse to you before we get to our passage. Genesis 24, Abraham's servant speaks about Abraham's blessing like this. In Genesis 24, verse 34, listen to this. So he said... I am Abraham's servant, and the Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He's given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male servants and female servants and camels and donkeys, which is the exact way that he's going to talk about Jacob's wealth in our passage today. So his connection, he's connecting a blessing, the blessing of Abraham, with some material wealth that he actually Obtained here. And we see that, that Abraham, if you read it carefully, Abraham was a very wealthy man. Isaac was a very wealthy man. And Jacob, as we're going to read about today, became a very rich, very wealthy man. Now, again, before, just pregame, before we move into this passage, um, according to the New Testament, uh, Galatians 3 7, Galatians 3 9, uh, we are the church. We're the church. We're Christians. Christians, the church. We are children sons and daughters of Abraham, right? According to Galatians 6, you know, we're, we're uh, the, the Israel of God. We're the true Israelites, according to Romans 2. So we're the true children of Abraham. We're the true Israel. And so we should have material wealth, right? And I hope most of you in your hearts are going, no, that doesn't, that doesn't sound right. When I read my New Testament, that doesn't, that doesn't seem right. And here's the reason why. It's not right. Because our blessings were given in Christ go far beyond mere prosperity. If you go read Ephesians chapter 1, it says this, speaking about blessing, it says, 
Ephesians 1.3 says, We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And you keep reading that chapter, and it begins to tell you those spiritual blessings you've been blessed with, such as chosen in Him before the foundation of the world, adopted as sons and daughters of the kingdom. The Holy Spirit has been given to you. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit from God, blessed with spiritual blessings from on high. That goes way beyond the material blessing given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now, it makes sense that these men, these patriarchs, would be given material wealth because through them is coming the prosperous nation, an ethnic people group, a nation among all nations. But with the church, with Christians, in this new covenant with God, we're we're not this physical nation, but we're a spiritual nation. With the Israel of God, and it speaks of us as a spiritual, holy nation before God. And so what we have, we're not marked out by material prosperity, but we're marked out by spiritual prosperity in Christ Jesus. And so I want us to look, as we talk about this promise, we think about how this promise implies some wealth to the patriarchs. Let's go to Genesis chapter, back up to Genesis chapter 28. And again, before we get to our passage... Let's read this promise to Jacob one more time. Look at Genesis 28 as that promise is passed on to Jacob. We're going to read verse 13 through 15. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. It's a land promise. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you, it's a seed promise, and in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now keep this in mind. This is about to be fulfilled. Look at verse 15. Behold, I'm with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. And I'll give you, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised you. I'll try to think about that for a minute. Jacob receives this promise as a single man. He has no wife, he has no offspring, he has no land, he's got no prosperity. He's a poor single man. He gets this promise of the land promise and the seed promise that implies some material prosperity that's coming. And as we keep reading about Jacob's life, where we've been so far in the book of Genesis is a focus on the seed promise. For the offspring to come about, the seed promise, for that to come about, he needs a wife and he needs children, right? And so that's what we've seen so far as we've walked, walked through the book of Genesis. We've seen Jacob obtain a wife, and unfortunately wives, and we've seen him obtain children. God's given him a wife, and God's given him children. So the focus has been on the seed promise. And what's going to happen in our passage today is we're going to see this turn to the land promise. Look at chapter 30. And just read, we're going to read the whole thing in a moment. But just read, let's just read verse 25. Look at it. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I might go to my home and country. He wants to go back to that land that's been promised. And we're about to move toward a focus 
on the land promise. But not just the land promise, but how God's going to give material wealth to this man Jacob. Now the summary statement of our passage today is the very last verse. The very last verse. Look at verse 43. Last verse of chapter 30, verse 43. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. So here's this man that obtains this great wealth and then God's about to bring him back into the promised land. We're about to see as we read this passage, as we read this whole passage, we're going to see chapter 28 verse 15 being fulfilled when God said, Jacob, wherever you go, you're headed to Padan Aram, you're headed to where Laban and them live, I'm going to be with you wherever you go and I'm going to bring you back into this land. And every word I've spoken to you will be fulfilled. And we're going to see God bringing that about today. So finally, let's look at Genesis chapter 30. Let's read all of it from verse 25 to verse 43. Hear God's word. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you, that, that I may go, for you know the service that I've, given, that I've given you. But Laban said to him, If I found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I've served you. And how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. But now, when shall I provide my own, for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today. Removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought four stripes, speckled and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the stripe and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger 
Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Now let's take this under three headings as you see there on your study guide. Three headings. Number one, Jacob and Laban reach an agreement. Now we see that in verses 25 through 34. Jacob and Laban come to an agreement. Now notice the interaction. There's, there's six, uh, six back and forths of Jacob said, Laban said. Jacob said, Laban said. Jacob said, Laban said. There's six back and forths, and I want us to look at each statement. So first we've got Jacob said something. Verse 25 and 26. Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. Jacob said that to Laban. So he's got a desire to go home. Now this is, this is a good desire. This desire he has to go home is a good desire. It's part of the promise. In uh, Genesis 28, verse 15, I'm going to bring you back to this land, God has said. It's part of the broader promise that I'm going to give you and your people this land. It's a good desire. We're going to see in chapter 31 that God's actually going to tell him, go back to your land, go back to your home. So this is a good desire that Jacob has. Now he asked for his wife and his children, which is all that he has. He's a poor man. He doesn't have anything of his own at this point. He's just been working off debts that he has to Laban. And you can tell that as he tells Laban this, give me my wives and children, send me home, that he's expecting some kickback to come from Laban. Look at the way he says at the very end. He says, for you know the service that I have given you. It's like he's trying to prep. And listen, Laban, you know the service I've given you. He's expecting some kickback to come from this man. You know the service that I've given you. He wants to go home. Now, Laban said in response, and you can see it in verse 27 and 28. What does Laban say? He says, If I have found favor in your sight, I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Sounds like a generous offer, right? Is it? Is this a generous offer coming from a good man? And the answer is no. This is, this is selfish at the core. Think about what he just said. I've, I've, under, I've understood, I've come to understand that God's blessed me because of you. Therefore, stay. It's selfish at the core. You remember, this is the same guy in Genesis 24 that it tells us that Laban ran out to meet Abraham's servant. Remember that? And it seems like such a good thing, but then the next verse tells you when he saw the, the bracelets and the gold and the silver that that man had given, then he ran out to meet that man. He's a selfish man. And this is a selfish offer. It's an untrustworthy offer. Remember last time, this, this guy's a schemer. Laban's a schemer. Last time that Jacob entered into an agreement with this man, he lied and deceived Jacob. So it's untrustworthy. It's an untrustworthy word. And not only that, but it's flattery. It's flattery for selfish gain. Listen, listen to this little phrase. He says, if I found favor in your sight, if I found favor in your sight. Now in this time, that's something that you would say uh, an, an inferior would say this to a su superior, to his superior. If I found favor in your sight. So he's saying, th this man Laban is saying that to Jacob as if he's superior. If I found favor in your sight. And this is nothing but flattery to get what he wants. It's nothing but flattery. Job chapter 32, verse 21 and 22 speaks about flattery. 
He says, I will not be partial to any man. I will not flatter any person. He says, if I should show flattery, he says, my God would have nothing to do with me. God would do away with me. Flattery is something to be warned against. And this man's using flattery for selfish gain. Romans 16, verse 18, it says, By smooth speech and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Flattery is an evil and wicked thing, and we need to beware of flattery. Number one, don't, brothers and sisters in Christ, don't engage in flattery. Okay, don't, have, don't be velvet-tongued, velvet-mouthed. Don't speak to please men. Speak to please God. Don't show flattery. Also, don't be impressed by it. Don't entertain flattery. It might feel so good as this tasty morsel when you are flattered, but it bites in the end. That's exactly what Laban has given Jacob here. Flattery for selfish gain, and it's un, very untrustworthy. And so what does Jacob do? Verse 29 and 30, Jacob responds like this. Look at verse 29. You yourself know how I've served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? So he agrees. Jacob says, yes, my presence here has blessed you. You didn't have much when I came, and now you have, a, you have an abundance now because of my presence here. But then he says, but when he's concerned about providing for his own household, when should I provide for my own household? Jacob says, I need to provide for my own household. And then Laban said, verse 31, Laban said, he said, what shall I give you? So he offers it up. Okay, okay then. Well, what can I do? What can I give to you? For you to provide for your own household, what can I give to you? And then keep going. Jacob says this. If you keep going in verse 31, Jacob says, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. So, so Jacob says, look, you, 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 don't need to, you don't need to give me anything. So he knows what it's like to be in debt to this man. He does not want to be in debt to this man again. He says, I don't want you to give me anything. But rather, Laban, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, I'll stick around and I'll pasture your flock. If you do this, do what? Look at verse 32. Let me pass through all your flock today removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come to look into my wages with you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted as stolen. So if you'll do this, do what? Well, let me go through your flocks, Laban, and I'm going to grab the the, the, you know, the discolored ones, the striped and the speckled and the spotted and the black lambs. I'm, I'm going to grab these, these rare, these, these, these uh, parts of the flock that are more rare. I'm going to grab those. Now, does this seem like a good deal to Laban? Absolutely. So, okay, so he's going to get, out of all the flock, he's going to get the rare ones. He's going to get just the, you know, the, the few that are there that are spotted and striped and speckled. Those are the ones that he's going to get, which leaves me with all the rest. Good deal for Laban. Is this a good deal for Jacob? Yes, he doesn't want to be in debt to this man. He wants something clear that when it's all said and done, it's very clear. The spotted ones are mine, and the other ones are yours. Those speckled and striped ones are mine, and those are yours. He doesn't want to be deceived. He doesn't want to owe this man anything. So he wants clarity here. 
And so this is a good deal for the good deal for Jacob, good deal for Laban. Now there's a couple interesting words I want you to look at in verse 33. Look how he says in verse 33. Notice it. He says, my honesty. Jacob says, so my honesty. Now how could Jacob say that? This man's a schemer. You, we've been reading and studying this man's life. This man is a schemer. This is a guy that deceived his own old blind daddy. How can he look out and say, my honesty? I'm worried about my honesty. That's why I'm doing this spotted and speckled and striped thing. Because I'm worried about my, how can he say this? This wicked deceiver of a man. Is he just being hypocritical? Is he saying my honesty but really has no intent of showing honesty whatsoever? Is he just being hypocritical? And I would say no. I believe that God is changing this man. That God is absolutely changing this man. If you remember, this man was a schemer, a deceiver, a wicked man. And then in Genesis 28, we read about it. God showed up and appeared to this man. And he bows down and worships the God of glory. He had an encounter with God in Genesis chapter 28. And then in Genesis 29 and 30, he begins to enter into these trials and these tribulations and even consequences of his deceitfulness, consequences of his sin. And he begins to be a humbled man, a man that's met God, a man that's been humbled by the discipline of God. And then we're going to see in just a little bit, I'm going to read this verse in Genesis 32. As he finally leaves Laban and he heads back home, he's about to come across Esau in Genesis chapter 32, verse 6. Listen to this. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, excuse me, verse 9, Genesis 32, 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, think about who this man is, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy. I'm not worthy the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. God's changing this man. You see it? And this is a miracle from God that God can take a schemer, a deceiver, a wicked man without faith in God, and God can completely convert him and change his life and make him a godly man and make him a humble man that says, God, I'm not worthy. All that you've given me, I'm not worthy of your steadfast love and faithfulness. God can do that, and it's a miracle. It's a miracle. More than him parting the Red Sea, more than him bringing water out of a rock is this miracle that God would take hell-bound sinners, wicked, evil people that want nothing to do with God like me and you, and completely change their lives, save their souls from hell, and put them back in this world as godly, holy men and women. It's a miracle. And I see it all over the room. I'm looking at my brothers and sisters in Christ all over the room. Miracles. Look what God has done. And look at Jacob's life. Look at what God, look at what he's doing. And so the last part of this interchange here is verse 34, where Laban, look at what he says. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. So Laban jumps all over this deal. All right, that's, I'll take that agreement. And he just jumps all over it. And so now Jacob and Laban have entered into this agreement. 
Now, second heading is Jacob and Laban, Laban act on the agreement. That's in verse 35 through 42. So verse 35 through 42, Jacob and Laban begin to act on this agreement that they've entered into. Now let's look first at Laban's actions. Let's look at how Laban acts on the agreement. Laban's actions, verse 35. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Laban is a money-hungry deceiver. You see it? Entered into the agreement, what do we do now? Oh, I'm going to take the stripe and the spotted and the speckled and the black lambs and all the ones that should be his, and I'm going to grab them and put them away from the rest of the flock so that flock won't produce more of that stuff. He's a wicked, money-hungry deceiver. He's trying to make himself prosperous, and he's trying to hinder God's blessing in Jacob's life. He's trying to make himself prosperous and hinder Jacob. But is it going to work? No, it's not going to work. And why is it not going to work? Because Jacob is so good at, at, at uh, being a shepherd? Because he can control what kind of offspring comes from this flock? Why is it not going to work? Because of the promise of God. It's not going to work because the promise of God is the reason that this man Jacob is going to obtain material wealth. It's really clear that it's not going to work. Nothing can thwart God's promise. And so Laban's initial reaction is shown here. But what we don't realize until you read the rest of of, uh, Genesis into 31, into 32, is that literally for the next six years, Laban's going to continue to try to thwart God's uh, plan of blessing this man Jacob. For the next six years, he's going to oppose God's will and oppose Jacob for the next six years. Now, why do I say that? Because this little section that we just read, Chapter 30, verse 25 through 43, it represents six years. Now, you know that as you, as you get into chapter 31, uh, uh, verse 41, it speaks about 14, Jacob says, 14 years I labored for my wives, and then for six years I labored for the flock. So this little period of time represents six years. Now, over that six-year period, what, what happens is Laban keeps trying to change Jacob's wages. He keeps trying to cheat this man. In fact, let's go read that. Look at chapter 31. Look with me at verse 41. He says, These 20 years, Jacob speaking, These 20 years I have been in your house, Laban. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. Why did he change his wages? He's trying to cheat this man. He's seeing God's blessing. Oh no, the flocks are bringing about striped and spotted and speckled. I better change this thing to benefit me and not him. In fact, look at verse, look at verse 7. Because I want you to see this, that God's not going to let him do this. Look at chapter 31, verse 7. It says, Yet your father, he's speaking of Laban's daughters now, his wives, yet your father has cheated me. Laban has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But listen to this. But God did not permit him to harm me. For six years he's trying to thwart God's blessing in his life, and God won't permit him to do it. 
I love this verse. Look at verse 12. And he said, it's God speaking to Jacob, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped and spotted and mottled. For I have seen, listen to this, God says to Jacob, I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. That's a sweet little phrase. For six years, he's trying to thwart my blessing in your life. And God says, I see exactly what he's doing. I see exactly what Laban is doing. Now, I want, you, I want you to think about how frustrating this had to be for Laban. He changed his wages ten times to try to cheat him. And think about how frustrating this is. And here's what will help you think about how frustrating this is. In that same chapter, Genesis 31, look at verse 8. This is so frustrating. Listen. If he said, that's Laban, if Laban said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. <laughs> and if he said, the stripes shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Do you know how frustrating that is? Can you imagine that? Okay, only you get the purple ones, and then a purple sheep start coming out. Can you imagine how frustrating this guy's trying to oppose God's blessing in his, in his man's life, and, and, and he's just frustrated over and over again. Ten times he tries to do this, and every time Jacob keeps prospering because nothing can thwart the promise of God. It's very frustrating and futile to oppose God's purpose. And I think we need to see this as a warning. Number one, we need to see this as a warning. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, don't oppose God's purposes. Take this as a warning. Look at Laban and take the warning. Don't oppose God's purposes. Frustrations are going to come. You realize that, right? No matter what you do, frustrations will come. Because you're either going to frustrate the world and Satan, or you're going to frustrate God. Okay, so, so frustrations are going to come from the world and Satan, or it's going to come from God. Frustrations are coming no matter what, because, because you only have a broad path and a narrow path. That's all you got. So you're either going to walk in a path that brings frustrations from God, or you're going to walk in a path that brings frustrations from the world. So I would say, brothers and sisters, choose your frustrations wisely. I would rather have frustrations as I walk in opposition to the world and the government and sin and everything that this world has to put against me. I'd rather walk in those frustrations than to walk against the purposes of God. One's temporary frustration, the other one is eternal. Choose your frustrations wisely. So we need to be warned by this. Don't be like Laban. But we also, I think we should be comforted by this. Think about this. All, just like Jacob, is blessed and nothing can stop it. All who are in Christ Jesus are the blessed ones. Galatians 3.7, Galatians 3.9, if you're in Christ, you are blessed. According to those verses of Scripture, Ephesians 1.3, you will have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And listen to this, nothing can stop that blessing. Nothing can thwart God's purposes and plans in your life. Nothing, nothing can do it. We should be encouraged by looking at how Laban cannot stop the blessing of God on Jacob. That should encourage our souls. There was a, a brother in, when uh, me and Nick Starkey went to India. I preached one uh, meeting there, and this brother comes to me afterward. Seemed like a new believer, and just like a humble brother in Christ. And he comes to me, and he, and he says to me while I was there, he says, you can just tell he's anxious, he's nervous, he's fearful. And the reason he's anxious and nervous and fearful is that somebody else he knows in his town ha had put a curse on him. Had begun to curse him, like 
literally announced curses on him, and he was afraid of that. And man, it did my heart so much good to tell this man that, that actually he was blessed in Christ and nothing could stop it. And I shared this verse with him. Listen to this, Deuteronomy, it's Deuteronomy chapter 23. You can flip there if you like. Hold your place, though. Deuteronomy chapter 23. It was so sweet to get to share this sweet example, sweet verse with his brother. He's worried about being cursed, and here it says in Deuteronomy 23, because they did not meet you, verse 4, 23 verse 4, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt, so he's talking about the Ammonites and the Moabites, how they're, they're cursed, and he says this, keep going, this is the part, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia. You remember that in Numbers? When there's Israel in the valley, and the multitudes that come out of Egypt, they're headed to the promised land, and the king of Moab sits on that mountain looking at them in the valley, and he calls Balaam, Balaam, come and curse these people. Come curse these people from me. And he calls them to do that. Listen, they hired against you Balaam, and, and then to curse you, and look at verse 5, but the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. I think how sweet that was for me to get to share that with this brother in India. <laughs> it says, but the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. Now, do you remember that in Numbers? Can you imagine that? This is why this should encourage us. When we look at Laban, is trying to thwart the purposes of God. He's trying to stop the blessing of God in Jacob's life, but he can't do it. Be comforted, saints. As you look at Israel in that valley, completely ignorant that King Moab is trying to get them cursed by Balaam. And every time Balaam tries to open his mouth to curse them, and that was a wicked man, he tries to open his mouth to curse them, blessing keeps coming out. God's controlling the tongue of the false prophet for you because he loves you. Because he loves you. God's turning even the curse into blessing. You see how that should encourage you? We're, we're like Jacob, or we're, we're like you know, the ignorant Israelites sitting in the valley, not even know that, knowing they're being cursed, and yet God is protecting them in love. And here's Laban, ten times, change the wages, but every time, a uh, uh, spotted one shall be your, your wages. All of them born or spotted. Now that's Laban's actions. Now let's look at Jacob's actions. They got this agreement. Jacob's actions is, is found in verse 37 through 42. Start in verse 37. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them. Exposing the white of the sticks. Now, every kid knows what I'm talking about. Adults, do you? Yeah, you peel the stick and there's a little stripe. Done that, I hope. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs. That is, the watering places. So where the flocks come and get their water, he put the sticks there. And since they bred when they came to drink... The flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped and speckled and spotted. Interesting. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black and the flock of Laban. 
He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. And then it gets even deeper. Listen to this. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks and the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there, so the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. The feebler of the flock would be Laban's and the stronger would be Jacob's. So let's think about Jacob's actions for just a minute, okay? Was this, uh, this move with the sticks and all, and the watering troughs, and so they breed in front of the sticks, and then stripes are there, so they uh, bear striped offspring. Scientific or superstitious? Was that scientific or superstitious? Now, I tried that with my cats this week, so I'll let you know in a few months. No, seriously, scientific or superstitious? Which one was it? And, uh, you know, I, I, I could say I don't know 100%, right? Because, I don't know, a lot of stuff we think we know and we find out years later we don't know as much as we think we know. So, I don't know. Um, but obviously, I think like all of you, I lean very heavily towards this is a superstitious move by Jacob. In fact, earlier in the chapter, remember the mandrakes? It's a lot like the mandrakes, right? That they thought that the mandrakes would bring fertility and this is superstition. And then ha- here we have something similar that was with Rachel, and now we have something similar here with Jacob, that there's a superstition that if, you know, if I do this, if they see the stripes, you know, then they'll bear striped offspring. So Jacob's a man of his time. He's a man given to farming folklore, right? And that's not too far removed from us. I can remember, I don't know where the Grishams are. Well, me and the Grisham used to do some farming together. I remember taking advice from farmers. This stuff's still around. You know, put two seeds in every hole and spit over your right shoulder and the tomatoes will come up, you know. Uh, and this stuff's still around. It's this superstitious type thing. This is the way it goes. But Jacob's just a man, of, he's a man of his time doing these, these superstitions. Now, I believe that's the right way to think about it, that this is a superstitious move, just like many others around Jacob at that time. But here's the thing. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. You know why? Because it's really clear in the Bible, scripturally, that ultimately and finally, his trust his worship was to God for what he's produced. It wasn't to his method, but his trust was in God ultimately and finally. Now, I want to make sure, I want to make sure you see that, not just me saying it, but, but from the Scripture. So ultimately, his trust was in God, not in his superstitious method. Now, here's a few verses why I say that. Chapter 31, verse 5. Look at verse 5 real quick. I'm going to read these fast. Jacob, and said to them, Jacob saying to his wives, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my fathers has been with me. He didn't say, my method got me here. He says, the God of my fathers has been with me. Look at verse 7. We read it a moment ago. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. He didn't say that man cheated me, but I had better superior methods to him in farming taking care of these sheep. He says, God didn't let him harm me. Look, look at chapter 31, verse 42. I love this verse. He says, he says, he's saying it straight to Laban's face now. He says, Laban, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. 
See, he's attributing these things to God. What about a little bit later? Look at chapter 33, verse 11. Look at how, as as Jacob looks back over his life and the way he's gained all this prosperity, he doesn't say, "My, my methods. I'm so industrious. He doesn't say that, but what does he say in chapter 33, verse 11? Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me. So ultimately, the reason he walks in this superstitious, neither here nor there, ultimately and finally, his trust is in God. God's been gracious to me. God didn't let you harm me. God has protected me. God has been with me. His hope's in God. Now, I think Matthew Henry tells us, Matthew Henry tells us what we ought to take from this. I love this quote from Matthew Henry off of Genesis 30. He says this, God's providence extends even to the color of the cattle. God's providence extends even to the color of the cattle. And if it extends to the color of the cattle, what else does it extend to? God's providence, God's sovereignty extends into every single thing in your life. Our God is sovereign over all. He reigns over all. Nothing is outside of His control. Everything is under His hand. Every single little bitty thing. Even the color of the cattle. Don't flip there. Let me read this to you. I love this in uh, Psalm, you jot this verse down if you're taking notes, Psalm 29. Listen to this, Psalm 29, verse 7 says, The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. That's the way you think about God, right? Our God speaks and lightning strikes. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Our God can shake forests and jungles and the whole planet if He so pleases. Now, what are you expecting to come next? Listen to this. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Not what you were expecting, was it? Not only does He shake the wilderness and pour out lightning and control the waves of the sea, but our God even controls when the deer gives birth and the color of the cattle, everything. What's in your life you think is not under His control? Submit it to God. It's all under His control. God's providence extends even to the color of the cattle. All right, so we've got the agreement that they made, number one. We've got the actions that they took, number two. And number three, third heading, let's see the conclusion of the matter. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Look at verse 43. Read it again. Thus the man, speaking about Jacob, increased greatly and had large flocks and female Servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. So sit on that for a minute. This man increased greatly. He has servants and donkeys and camels and flocks. This man has become rich. This man has become very wealthy. He just came in to Laban's home with nothing but his staff, and now he's leaving out his two, he's gonna leave out his two camps. Over this six-year time period, this man has become wealthy. Now, I want you to understand how wealthy he's become. Look at, look at chapter 31, verse 1. Look at it. Now, Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. So the way Laban's sons viewed it was, our father was wealthy, and now it's all been ripped away, and Jacob's plundered our father. Now, Jacob's become wealthy. He took our father's wealth. To give you another picture of how rich he became, 
Look at chapter 32. This almost made me laugh. So when he does leave after this six-year time period of gaining material prosperity, he's headed back to the promised land. He meets Esau, and he sends Esau a gift. Now, this is just, this is just a gift. This is not what he owns. This is just a gift to a man. Listen to the gift in chapter 32, verse 13. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. Here's the present. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their cows, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. And what'd you give your brother for Christmas? It's a gift. This man is loaded. He's rich. He's wealthy. And that's the point of chapter 30, verse 43, that the summary statement is over this six-year time period, this man has become very, very prosperous. And now he's about to head back to the promised land. You're going to see that in chapter 31. He's going to head back to the promised land. Now, there's an interesting pattern here that I want to make sure we see as we kind of think about this passage of Scripture. There's an interesting pattern here, okay? And here's the pattern. One, one easy thing to see is that all three of these patriarchs, we, we followed Abraham, and then we followed Isaac, and then we followed Jacob, and all three of these men were, became very, very wealthy. And it speaks about their wealth very similar, if you go study it, to what it says here in verse 43. It speaks about their wealth very similarly. So, so... All three of these patriarchs, very uh, materially prosperous men. Now, the interesting thing is, is how they obtained this wealth. So how did Abraham and Isaac and Jacob obtain this wealth? All three of them, read the stories, were in the promised land, and then they had to, they had to leave the promised land for some reason, a famine with Abraham, a famine with Isaac, and this situation with Jacob, and that, so... So they, had to, they were in the promised land, and then they had to leave the promised land, and then they become rich in a foreign land, what Joseph calls the land of their affliction. They, become, they leave the promised land, become rich in their land of affliction, in this foreign pagan land, and after they become rich in that foreign land, they return to the promised land. And this is a pattern, an interesting pattern you see in Abraham, in Isaac, and in Jacob. And Jacob. Now how would that how would that pattern, as you read Genesis, imagine you were one of the original readers, that you're Israel, that's, that's, you've been brought out of Egypt, and there you are, these are the books of Moses, Moses is leading you out, and you read this about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that they're in the promised land, they leave the promised land, become very prosperous in the land of their affliction, go back to the promised land. How would that land on you as an original reader? You would say, us too. The same thing's happening to us that we, we had to leave the promised land because of a famine like Abraham and Isaac and like Jacob had to leave the promised land and we were in Egypt in this pagan land, the land of our affliction and God delivered us out of this place and remember what happened when God delivered them out of that place? That they plundered the Egyptians. On their way out, they got rich as they plundered the Egyptians and headed back to the promised land. So they read Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that they go too. Can you imagine how this, this encourages their soul, that our God is in control? Our God designs history as He pleases. You say, me too, this is the same thing that's happened to us. Now, but, but broaden it out a little bit. Why is this pattern here? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, now the nation of Israel. 
in the promised land, removed from the promised land, become rich in the land of their affliction, go back to the promised land. Why is this pattern here? Because one day, the descendant of Abraham, the descendant of Isaac, the descendant of Jacob, the one true Israelite is going to leave the promised land. He's He's going to become prosperous in the land of his affliction. Luke 11 says that he goes to the strong man. The strong man is Satan, who's the little G God of this world, according to the New Testament. The little G God of this world, and he's going to plunder that enemy. He's going to take his good and divide his spoils. And that true Israelite is going to return to the promised land. Isn't that beautiful? A beautiful pattern here. Now, aren't you glad that Jesus, the one who died, and he died for our sins, and he rose from the dead, and he, he ascended on high, so he lived and died for sinners, and rose from the dead, and ascended on high, so that he could plunder the enemy in a foreign land, and, and go back, and I'll go to prepare a place for you. Aren't you glad he did that? Because we get to follow him there. We get to follow him there. I referenced a verse earlier. I want to read it to you now. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 7, listen to this. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Blessed like Jacob is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith like us, Gentiles like us, made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ who died for sinners, The scripture preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, listen, so then, those who are of faith are blessed, like Jacob, blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Aren't you glad that the the Israelite came, plundered the enemy, became rich in the land of affliction, returned to the promised land, that we, the people of God, the true Israel, the sons of Abraham, the daughters of Abraham, might follow him there. And so that brings me to this final encouragement here that everybody on planet Earth, so please consider this, everybody on planet Earth can be put into two categories. You're either like Laban or you're like Jacob. Only two categories. You're like Laban or you're like Jacob. Now, notice the categories are not good or bad. It's not that. The categories aren't good or bad, otherwise we would all be in one category, which is wicked and evil, because God's Word says there's none who is good, no, not one. Two categories, but it's not good and bad. It's two categories, which is like Laban or like Jacob. Both of them are scoundrels. Both of them evil men, wicked men that have sinned against a glorious and powerful God, and we are like them. But each one of us, we're either like Laban or we're like Jacob. Laban was a scoundrel who continued in his sin and resisted the will of God. Jacob was a scoundrel who repented and turned to God in faith. He turned to the Lord in faith and he was changed. He became a new man, a new creation in Christ. And anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. This is the miracle that God does. Are you like Laban, resisting the will of God? Or are you like Jacob, 
a scoundrel, yeah, for sure, but turn to the Lord in repentance and faith. Laban was cursed, Jacob was blessed, and nothing could thwart Jacob's blessing. Think about it, the same place in Galatians 3 says that Jesus became a curse for us. You're cursed because of sin. Jesus took that curse and removed it from you, laid it upon himself, and took the punishment you deserve so that you could be a blessed one, not a cursed one. Laban is cursed, Jacob is blessed, and nothing can thwart that blessing. What about you? Are you like Laban or are you like Jacob? Laban is in hell right now. Jacob is with his Savior. What about you? Where will you be? I encourage you to let this passage make you think about that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you again for your word. And God, I pray that you would take every soul here, and any soul here right now that's like Laban, any soul that's like Laban, Lord, they're resisting your will, they're resisting your purpose. They call you Lord, but they don't do your will. They don't trust you. God, save them and wake them up, Lord. Save their soul from death. Save them from the curse, Lord. Make them a blessed one. Save them from hell. And God, for all who here who are like Jacob, God, I pray you'd fill them with encouragement. That, Lord, you have blessed them and no one can revoke it. That you've justified, so who could condemn? That you've done a work in their life and you promised that you would complete it until the very end. And God, we call on that promise. You said that you began a good work in us and you would complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, do it. Let it be so. We stand on your promise. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.